Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi. Mike, I don't know if you could hear what I just heard. The, the Yes, yeah. Suddenly we get this weird automated, automated uh, message that we're recording the meetings and it scared me a little bit. So yeah. <laughs> I had to explain my facial expression in case you didn't hear it, Mike. Mike Huber is on the show today. Yeah. Hey, Heather. And wearing a Bert shirt. I just saw that. Oh, yeah. Bert and Bert. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's, now that I know um, that you're on YouTube, too. I've yeah. You can show the shirt. Show. Yeah. That is um, my kids, Curtis and Josie, are Bert and Ernie. Oh, perfect. Um, from, from very young ages. Anyway, <laughs> um, even the Curtis even kind of has a pointy head. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he doesn't listen. I can say that. Um, okay, so Mike and I are going to talk about um, the, the idea of special needs, children with special needs, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read this, um, and this is from your own writing, Mike, so you can say whatever you want to say after I'm done reading it, but let's sure. just jump into this. Um, so what Mike says, and what Mike thinks I would highlight if I were reading it, <laughs> and is right, um, is this, binary thinking is also present when we think of some people as being quote-unquote able-bodied and others as disabled. The truth is that each person has a combination of abilities that are unique. Some children run faster than others, some run slower, some can't run at all. Some children can hear better than others, some can hear well but are still developing the executive function skills necessary to focus their attention on one particular voice, usually the adults, or sound. Others cannot hear it as well at all or at all. It is easy to lose sight of the diversity that is in our classroom. This idea of able-bodied and disabled can cause educators to focus on behavior rather than skills to be developed. For example, imagine an educator calling children over one by one to line up each day after they put on their snow gear. The educator speaks quietly to encourage the children to quote unquote listen. Imagine a child who's still developing the skill of focusing on one sound so they're easily distracted by sounds. This child would consistently not hear his name when being called. The educator might say the child's name twice before saying, I guess he's not ready and calling a different name. The same educator would not have done this to a child who had a diagnosed hearing impairment, but because there was no diagnosis, the educator does not take into account this child's difference in ability from their peers. So thank you for that, Mike. I I look forward to reading reading everything else that comes around it someday. Um, But this, so this is... um, going to be an interesting conversation. I'm, I've been looking forward to it because um, I used to say a lot, um, well, every child is a special needs, you know, every child has special needs. And if we're really, if we're really individualizing, it shouldn't be that difficult to just say, oh, this is what this child needs from me. It's a little bit different. Maybe it's a little bit more time intensive. Maybe I need to learn some new skill, um, but it shouldn't be all that much different. Um, 
And then I was um, very early in my time at the, um, in the speech language clinic that I was working in, um, I'll say accused, but that sounds stronger, I guess, maybe than I want it to be, of not supporting special education because of ideas like that. Or I, I would say, right. you know, there was a checklist that um, we, were, we had to do, somebody's therapist wanted us to do this checklist for the child. And one of the things was about how, whether he could build, you know, towers with blocks. And I was like, I can't, I don't want to answer that. Like ethically, I'm uncomfortable with that because I don't know what his previous experience with blocks has been. Right. I don't want right, it to right. be labeled with this other label because, you know, maybe no one's ever given him wooden blocks and I give uh -huh. it to him today at four years old and he doesn't build a tall tower. So, so anyway, um, there's a lot, there's a lot in this that I think we can unpack. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of it too. Whenever we get into binaries, there's a few problems with it. Mm -hmm. One, that idea of there's one thing or the other certainly is a problem. But then the example you were just using, there's um, other components, cult you know, the cultural element of, you know, which families tend to have blocks at home or uh -huh. send their child to a group setting that has blocks or whatever, um, or even knows what a tower is. If, it, if the way that was written was like, here, you know, can you build a tower? Uh -huh. I was like, what is like, <laughs> sure. what are you talking about? Yeah, you know, or whatever. Um, but just that that idea that so much of what we even think of as development is based on kind of sort of a white middle class culture. And, you yeah. know, and then when it's time to study children, it's like at a lab school at some university. So they, you know, observe yeah. the children who are at the lab school. Yeah. So it just perpetuates it. And then you say, oh, yeah, but look, research shows, you know, that yeah. whole idea. I mean, I seems to be it comes up a lot in your podcast of yes. you know uh research uh is a loaded word mm -hmm. we can learn from it but we should never assume it has proven everything right or that it's the only thing that matters and thing. yeah, yeah i think lisa and i did an episode a long time ago called it doesn't have to always be research if anyone wants to look yeah. back at it or something where where we kind of talked about that but also i am a nerd who loves to read research so right. um <laughs> but i remember reading um and it was it was a book about inclusive child or diversity in early childhood by janet gonzalez mena who and it was written a while ago but i would just read it a few years ago and there was just like a little you know one of those little boxes on the page that yeah here's another Sidebar thing to think about yeah and she was talking about how um all of the research that we do um that we use on ch with children and with our practice now was was done on just what you're describing yeah five like percent yeah. of the the world's pop you know population yeah. of children it's probably the same books. book that made me first start thinking about it actually. we expect it you know. to be global and i am still looking yeah. for the paper that that comes from it was um I, I still haven't been able to find it yeah um but and i think i that sort of was hit home for me in that speech language clinic i i spent three years in because it was you know four days a week half a day so the only people who could really participate in that were the people who had, you know, one parent at home who could do all that right. pickup or they could afford to do a separate um, child medical care situation in the afternoon and, and medical then, yeah. transportation. One little girl was being bussed in from a school district 40 miles away. Um, so, so, um, so it really hit home for me that, that it's very white upper middle class centric yeah. um, a lot of the times yeah. when we're trying to do these things. Yeah. And then I, I do have to say, I do have a, a lot of discomfort with that, the idea of special education yeah, as well. Yeah, let's talk about that. So 
And I will say this is a half-baked idea. Like by the time my book comes out, I'll, I'll have a clearer position <laughs> on it. But, you know, I like to, I verbally process. So I like to sort of record podcasts yeah. when I haven't figured out exactly yeah. what I think. But the problem is, and so this gets pointed out sometimes, I should have had my reference sheet with me. <laughs> but um, I remember one book, you know, talking about the, the problem with the, the term special education is then you often have like paras will Mm -hmm. like be with the special ed students, the children with special needs. And then you have the general educator and the general educator often doesn't take ownership of that child's like Mm. development at all because well, the para will help with that. So I'm just going to do the same thing I always do. don't have to change anything. don't have to change anything. And it's up to the para to change it. And then never mind the sort of hierarchy of how much a para is paid, what training they have, so all of this, um, rather than, and then what I think the hardest part is, especially with early childhood, is most kids aren't diagnosed. Even kids who will end up with a diagnosis for ADHD, autism, whatever. I mean, there's some physical needs that get noticed sure. earlier. But even hearing issues right. sometimes don't get noticed until three you know, four. Yeah. So you have a child in a program that might not have a diagnosis. And if the teacher's expectations are there, all children have to do this. All children have to hear me whisper their name and come over mm-hmm. as if all children are able to do that. Uh, so the other way I look at it is just like running. You have the kid who's fastest <laughs> or if two or three kids and they'll argue over who's the fastest. Of right, course. right. But then you have kids who can run, but are slower. You have kids who are like run, but they'll, they're going to fall at some point, you know, they're going to just trip. And then you have a child who um, maybe, you know, maybe uses a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and so wheels around and doesn't run um, or whatever. Like there's the idea that there's the able-bodied and disabled in those cases. It's like, well, there's all these variations for that physical ability. Um, And sometimes the physical ones we, we notice more, but then we think about the unseen uh, differences. Yeah. Well, and I've been just within the the framework of disability. I've learned a lot in the last four years um, uh, because my, my husband has an invisible, you know, what people call an invisible disability. So, um, you know, he's, he, he retired early and um, he's got the placard in his car if he needs to park in that spot. Um, But people consistently judge, you know, you look fine. Mm-hmm. You look like yeah, you're able to, yeah. to do all these things. So, um, so I, I sort of transfer that into children now too. And that has added to my thinking about um, inclusive, you know, what we call inclusive right. childcare. Um, and, and so often um, I see people wearing that, well, I'm inclusive because I have a disability in my classroom that you can see. And that's like a badge of honor for the yeah. teacher. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I remember, and this is terrible, but I remember one person that I worked for a long time ago was so excited that we had a Downs baby uh, in one of our classrooms. And she would talk about it a lot. And she always called it, you know, the Downs baby. And it just yeah. made me so, um, right. and it's, so nuts. Which, which makes me think about, um, <clears throat> I'd say... And I, I hold myself in the same category. Non-disabled people often have this um, preoccupation with, you know, person first language or identity yeah. first language. And 
what I find interesting for myself, even, you know, like person first language, it was supposed to be more respectful because we're not seeing the disability. Yeah. We're seeing the, the child, the person. But then a lot of uh, various disability communities would talk about, no, we want to be known. We are the deaf right. community. You know, we are yeah. deaf people. We are autistic people. Right. And we don't, you can't separate the two. What we do, part of it is because we're autistic in the same way that I'm a, not a person of whiteness. <laughs> you know, I'm a white person and what I do can't be separated from my being white. Yeah. Or a white American, whatever. Um, so identity in general, we usually put identity before the, the person, right. the name, whatever. Right. And that's been a, a hard shift for me because I spent so much yeah. time trying to, to be re- thinking I was being respectful yeah. um, and then realizing I needed to listen to yeah. the voices of the actual people who were being spoken and you, about. <laughs> and you talk about the sidebars because, you know, for editing, yeah. um, you, you know, the usual uh, frame of reference or whatever they, they talk about is it's still person first in most academic writing like mm-hmm. what the editors are looking for. And so what I appreciate um, about my publisher is last time I was pushing against, I'm going to use they, them as a singular. Uh-huh. Like, oh, well, that's not how, you know, it works. And they, yeah, but, but what the editor said was, that's okay. You just have to explain it because it goes against oh. our editing conventions. And for this sure. one, oh, can you just explain, have a sidebar. This is why I'm using identity first uh-huh. language. And so, my favorite, um, I was going to say my favorite quote, and I just realized I think I came up with it. But that's <laughs> because I'm a genius. It no. can still be your favorite. <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I know, because I paraphrased um, okay. what someone else said. Okay. But, uh, and it was from it was someone, uh, from a statement from a blind association about, don't call us, you know, whatever. Um, uh-huh. Like, we are blind people. Yeah. Uh, and euphemisms make it worse. Like it's uh, almost like there's something wrong with being blind. So that's yeah. part of it, right? There's something yeah. wrong with the disability. So if you put it too close to the name, then it's like, oh no, now people are worried. You know, it's the same yeah. thing. Like it's okay to say there's, you know, your black friend, if they're black and it has something to do with, with the discussion, with the like they, saying it. Yeah. yeah, they know they're black. They're okay with being black. Like, but when you're are afraid to say it. You know, my friend, he often wears a red shirt and, you know, whatever. And it's like, you go all the way around. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, it's okay. I think he knows he's black. And, yeah. And I think he's okay with that. And yeah. so the same thing with, with disabilities. But so I often say, if you're worried about being respectful, just don't be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Or if you prefer, don't be a person who is a jerk. Right. <laughs> don't be a just person, have the person with first. jerkiness. <laughs> with jerkiness, yes. So, so- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. So that that's all. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think to, the quote was a person of intelligence. A person of intelligence. Or a person with intelligence or there something. You go. Like, okay. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So I, I want to, um, because I'm sure people, there are some, somebody who's listening is like, um, but, but children do have disabilities, but there are things we need to know. Yeah. So let's go down that, that route yeah. for a minute. Yeah. So it, it is true. And so I really look to um, the social model of disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mostly know it uh, as something from Michael Oliver, I believe is his name. I'm so bad with names that I, um, he was a British author. Yeah. Um, but, but I've seen it used quite a bit. Um, it seems more so in the UK than here, but certainly I see people using it here. Uh-huh. But the social model of disability is that 
people have impairments. Impairments are a thing that has whatever you want to call it, like a medical uh-huh. um, thing. So if you're deaf, um, the impairment is your hearing. Mm-hmm. But the disability is society. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? So, you know, like, you know, having using a wheelchair is not a disability. Only having stairs to a building is the disability. Uh-huh. The barrier is from the thing we do as a society. Oh, that's the so smart. Impairment is the thing happens. So we do have to know about impairments at times. Yeah. But what I find in, in inclusive childcare, because our my center refers to itself as inclusive and yeah. mostly around uh, neurodivergence, ADHD, autism, but we have some physical impairments as well. Mm-hmm. But um the the important thing is the classroom teacher doesn't have to address the impairment in general, right? So like, I don't have to know why a child's using a wheelchair to make sure my classroom doesn't have barriers for a wheelchair. And the same thing around, if it's a sensory processing issue, I don't have to know all about, you know, the eight different senses and how they integrate and, you know, all this and that. What I need to know is what does the child need in the classroom? When right. the lights are bright, the child's going to get stressed, agitated, whatever. Or yeah. So I have to know like the variables that affect the child, the barriers that might come into play. I don't need to know the um, impairment necessarily. And some things, so sometimes it's helpful to keep that in mind Yeah. or know it to a certain degree, but it's not the teacher's job to fix that. And even, you know, some of the problems with special education from uh, that perspective is sometimes like around autism, Mm -hmm. a lot of the IEPs, the individual individual education plans, the um, what people try to do is essentially teach autistic children to behave like- To not be autistic, to not look autistic. autistic. Yeah, to not not look autistic. visibly be autistic, yeah. So there's phrase- is like, is that a big problem or a little problem? And trying to teach them that, oh, this isn't a big problem. Uh-huh. And the truth is it could be, right? Like a sensory stressor can be a big problem. Right. You know, so it's, but we don't want you to, cause that's, that's just small, like it's minor. And so it's like the adults deciding versus mm-hmm. the child. Um, yeah. We had a, we had a little boy who um, hit a lot of, you know, checklist indicators for autism. And, um, uh, so, so a lot of our, this was in the clinic. So, you know, we had grad students who were there to try and get their clinical, um, experience and practice. And, um, we, we were like, we weren't, we weren't calling him autistic because we knew that it's not our job to give, you know, I'm not the one who can give that, that diagnosis. But what we did is just what you're describing. We figured out um, okay, so he's got these things that are indicators on a checklist, but who cares what the checklist should, you know, right. let's just do the things we know he needs to do. So, um, you know, he needed to go outside first thing when he got there. And right. so that's what he did. And mm-hmm. um, even after uh, his his family finally went and, you know, had him assessed, um, they came back and said, no, we don't think that that he's autistic. And we were 
surprised, but it didn't change yeah. anything. Right. Because right, we, right. because what we were doing was what we saw he needed every day to feel um, accepted, to feel welcomed, to feel successful. Yep. Um, and, and a lot of that meant we had to change what we were doing so much about labels for young children is only important because of the system we try to fit them yes. in. Right. It's, it's not, if, if everybody was just, you know, not trying to fit um, right. circle time and calendar time and, and yeah, daily yeah. schedules and, um, and sitting still, we wouldn't, we wouldn't need all of it. Yeah. All of that. And kind of information. some of it, again, like where the medical model comes right. in is sometimes that system includes qualifying for insurance. Absolutely. Sure. And so, yeah. so sometimes it is important, but yeah. for the educator, for most of your audience, it's not that important, right? It, right? It's it's like, oh, do I really need to, well, first of all, do I need to do calendar time? I almost said, which no, right. the answer is already no. The answer is no, but. <laughs> but. Do I need to have all the children sit at the same time to eat lunch? Yeah. Right, like that's something we do. Mm-hmm. We had a child who, I don't know if they ever got a diagnosis actually, but you know, clearly would get um, stressed, uh, dysregulated. Mm-hmm when at lunchtime Mm -hmm. and so i just suggested what if you and we knew swinging always helped if he can be on the swings for five to ten minutes beforehand you know which is also showing okay there's clearly something happening here whatever you want biologically there's something physiological about that yeah yeah (laughs) but i just asked you know because the teachers um, in that room would one of the teachers would go early and set up like kind of put the lunches out and things so when the kids yeah. came they could just wash their hands and start eating okay, right there and so I just asked could he go up with you and start eating um, just to see you yeah. know like it might be might not have helped at all yeah whatever but so they did that and sure enough it did help and what happened was the child asked like once everyone else came in could I just go over to that table mm-hmm. there was like a little table in the pretend area so it was Uh only big enough for one or two yeah and they're like yeah and so if you walked in just at lunchtime you might think oh they put that child in trouble he's in trouble but um but it was the reverse right the child by going alone first they got to the child figured out what they needed Uh and then it's like oh can i go there and then afterwards the teachers always knew oh i know you like to go there yeah the same child like would clean up before cleanup time yeah. Yeah. We um, had, yeah, we had a little guy who was like that. He, he yeah. didn't want to be with the group at snack. He, yeah. he didn't want to be with us when we read together. Um, so he could go where he wanted. And I had a, you know, an, a student who was in the classroom with me ask, well, why does he get that special treatment when no one else does? And I was like, well, he's the one who needs it. No one else right. is asking for it. No one else is telling me that yeah. they might need different consideration. Um, but he has communicated to me by his actions during those right, times right. that and that's something where, a little different yeah and so your comment about that idea that all children have special needs yeah um which you know i, I agree and of course the term special it's, needs has its issues but yeah yeah if everyone has it maybe it's not special it's everyone has needs everyone has <laughs> needs exactly yes and that's so i i guess i maybe didn't finish that sentence that oh, i yeah, used to yeah. say that a lot and i don't really anymore because yeah. of that you know the concept of special needs still implies yes know, certain things are yeah i've been using the word unique instead uh-huh, yeah. in the book right now yeah. and of course all that could change by the time i finish yeah. but <laughs> um but just that idea that 
if you're talking about a specific thing, like, oh, that's a unique need of his, uh-huh. it's easier mm-hmm. to do things without the group. So when you're talking about a specific thing, yeah. but so I've been thinking about it as a binary is when there's, here's the special needs and here's the typical kids. Yes. And then I've been using the phrase, and I got this more from the gender diversity community, uh-huh. but the constellation thinking oh, okay. that everyone has needs. And so there are all these individual points that people have and um, oh, I'm going to pause for a second because I think I just froze. Okay. 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 So in my book, I've been talking about sort of, you know, binaries of special needs versus typical children, and then using the language of gender diversity, think of constellation thinking. So there's all these points. Everyone has needs and the needs go all over the place. But when you step back, you can kind of see it as a picture of that child, that constellation, um, and that you'd never see the same, no two people would have the same constellation, the same thing. And so in thinking about that, it's more about the social model. How does your classroom run? Where are the the bumps? Where are things Mm -hmm. not working? And then think about it, is it because of a particular child's unique needs, or maybe it's some of the children, maybe it's several, um, whatever, do better. Maybe there is like three or four kids that would want to start lunch early or mm-hmm. not have to be with the whole group. So sometimes it's not just one child, but just yeah. that idea of, oh yeah, so I'm finding that this works for these kids. And then other kids know it's an option if they realize, oh wait, I would also feel better if I did that, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so by having that I'm hoping it's not more complex. I think it's just a different viewpoint, right? Because you'd still have the same issues once in a while, but it's just the problem solving rather than going to, well, maybe there's a diagnosis here. Oh, Mm -hmm. the child didn't have autism, but, but now what do I do? Like, yeah. Cause I, and it's like, well, what strategies work? Yeah. And so, or what, 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 when, when things are going well, what's happening? Like, start, start yeah. thinking about, what right, the, right. you know, if I have a morning that was super great and smooth and I, you know, this, this one kid that I wonder about or whatever had a good morning, what was going on that right, morning right. that we could try to, to keep going. Yeah. Um, it, but we just, it's so easy to slip into the deficit model. And I feel yeah. like, um, and we're trained to, I mean, right. I, yeah. I even what I just said, I went to that. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's part of, I have a special ed minor. <laughs> Um, and that was a big piece of it was we, and, and, and accreditation criteria say, you know, one of the, one of the criteria to be accredited, um, through NACI, uh, is that we make referrals when necessary. So to prove that criteria to a validator, we have to have some kind of proof that we referred somebody. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So our, our systems feed the the deficit thinking. And, uh, and so this, this idea of thinking it, of it as a non-binary, I think can be really helpful. Right. Yeah. And there is a, um, I'm trying to remember the, there's a, a movement called treatment resistant. Oh, I like treatment it already. Hesitant. Okay. Now I forget which one, but that idea that just keep trying different things. And then if it gets to the point where still can't figure out this child is dysregular, this child is not. So it's important to not use too many of your own criteria for what's successful. Yeah. But there are certainly times when a child is not feeling like 
can't whatever fit in, mm -hmm. can't get engaged in things, is always dysregulated. Um, things like that, where if everything you've tried is still not working, yeah, yeah, a referral might be the thing. There might be something that helps, right? But it shouldn't just be based on like, oh, he doesn't fit into my thing. I'm not going right. to change anything. Right. And, and our, our hands aren't clean then, right? When, if right. we, if we say, okay, so maybe they need something that insurance requires a label for. So who can I refer them to, to get that service? Or, right. um, you know, he really, you know, we have, we had a little boy who over the course of two years, it became really clear that he, he couldn't hear as well as right. um, other children in the classroom and that it would have benefited him to, to get some hearing. And he did get hearing aids. And, uh, but, but so many people, I think, when they, um, once that label's on and they have other therapists or services that we're working with, we feel like our work is done. You know, we, we got the right, label. Right. Um, we, we now know that it, it wasn't us. It was him, you know, right, as right, the right. kid. Um, and so we let go of it instead of yep. saying, well, what do I need to do to, and then that's, yeah, that's social and this is model. just new data that yep. I have. Yep. The same strategy is still going to work. Mm -hmm. I know for my own child, when they got their autism diagnosis, at first I was like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? And my brother was the one who was like, so they're the same kid they were yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right. Yeah. So That's do what great. I'm doing. The things that work will work. The things that don't work won't. Uh -huh. But now I might have a better idea of what could work or what sure. could help that I haven't tried yet because I just didn't know. And it can, I think, contribute to some empathy. Like if yes. we, oh, if, yeah. we um, if we have this new you know, if we, I don't know, if we're really still stuck in that compliance or non-compliance, mm -hmm. um, it's not just disrespect. Now, now I know he can't right. hear me, so I can empathize right, right. a little bit more. Um, well, yeah, for some who are just take... at the beginning of this, of this. Yeah, yeah. Shift. And um, maybe not for early childhood, but for older kids, they can start to, um, my child has their first job. And so inter being interviewed, they had to say, I'm autistic. So sometimes it's hard for me to um, interact socially, yeah. That especially when someone interrupts my script. Uh -huh. um, so customer interaction will be harder, uh -huh. but I really like doing things that are repetitive. Most people find boring. I like to do. So, you know, if you need me to put a sticker on each of the bananas, <laughs> they work at a produce. <laughs> That's my place. thing. You know, it's like, awesome. I'm like, no one else will want to do it and I'll, yeah. I'll really like it. Yeah. Yeah. And so but also, being able to own what, who they are. I was going to say the, I don't want to say bravery because I know that that's condescending, but, but think about the effort. This is what I want to say. Think about the effort it takes for someone to disclose that in a vulnerable position, like an interview or like right. um, being a, a student in a power yeah. structure at school or something. Yeah. Um, and I think partly, I mean, school is definitely a different thing with it and we can get into all that, but yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like high school and stuff. But, yeah. um, but I do feel like, you know, with the job, I just, cause like, child was asking and kind of we were practicing the interview and I said you know if the workplace has a problem with you being autistic then you shouldn't work there yeah yeah and and I should know so I won't be a customer there anymore too but yes exactly um but that's where like disclosing like you know and and I know there can be other discrimination that's you know whatever like my child's in a position where they're just going for first job so there's lots of choices but if you're in a field if you you yeah. know it might be harder to do that disclosure yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, so I think, but with young children too, and we get into privacy issues, so you can't necessarily yeah. give the diagnosis, but you can say he um, likes to eat alone or <laughs> she does this. And actually I have a quote from someone 
who was in my last book, and I have to get a hold of her to get permission oh. for this quote. Um, but for the podcast, I don't think. I, <laughs> I hope but she don't used have to always, get permission. She, this is about not needing to know the diagnosis. She'd always say, I don't know why they do that. They just have a difficult body. Uh-huh. Okay. Right? So yeah. it's like they, you know, I, I don't need to know why this person reacts to, you know, when it gets a little loud in the room and they start throwing things. Yeah. I'm yeah. not sure why, but it's hard for them to yeah. have loud sounds or whatever. I've, I've been um, uh, recently obsessed with the My Brother, My Brother and Me podcast. And I don't know if you listen to them, but, um, but it, it, it's funny. And But anyway, one, one, on one episode, I was listening to the oldest brother, Justin, was talking about a fear response. And he said, maybe it's just my human body sending me smart news. <laughs> and I thought that's such a great way that's great. of thinking about the way yeah. children respond, especially to like sensory stuff or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not wanting any more food or whatever. So that's sort of become right. a catchphrase around our house. Like, maybe it's just my human body sending yeah. me smart news. <laughs> yeah, I just listened to your, the Lydia Bowers episode just yeah. came out. So I don't know when you recorded it, but yeah, yeah that whole idea of, yeah, like listening to, oh, my body's telling me we I'm done to eating. Our bodies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, think, I just, I just hope that if I keep mentioning uh, the McElroy brothers, that they'll um, acknowledge me in some way. And that's all I oh, need. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to work their podcast into every episode. Now. Excellent. That's Excellent. You know, and they're, <laughs> they're part of maximum fun, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I got a um, email from uh, judge John Hodgman. Uh-huh. Uh, turns out. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, it was because someone I met actually, actually someone who considers me one of their heroes as a teacher. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was you, on an episode. you have one of those. I know. I read I the email she yet. sent to Judge John Hodgman and it was like she referred to me as one of her heroes. Oh, that's cool. That she learned how to teach by watching me read a book to kids. We worked together for one week. Oh my gosh. When she first got out of college. And then we just met two weeks ago. She's like, wait, are you, did you work at the, you know. And that's amazing. Yeah. Being a guy in early childhood helps. <clears throat> sure, you're memorable. That she could be like, Wait, there's only so many. You there's know, guys. only like four of you. Yeah, <laughs> you must be him. Back then, I had hair up here. I did not have a beard. All right, but it still must have been you, because yeah, you know, yeah. How many guys yeah. are there? But sorry, I totally derailed things. But oh, I, that's okay. I felt that's like it okay. started with relevance, and then it just sort of deteriorated. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, yeah, the comment about a smart message. Yeah. Right, because that's that thing of um, it's almost like we tell children. Actually, this is probably from the Lydia Bowers episode, right? We tell yeah. children to pay attention to certain things and then like, you know, to notice their body, how they're feeling in certain yeah. ways. In other ways, it's like, no, you have to use the bathroom right now. Yes, or, exactly. Yeah. Or no, you've <clears throat> got to finish eating. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I don't know. I had a thought and it's gone. But um, it's, it's, it's reactive still, right? Though it's yeah. after we see maybe the child has become dysregulated, we want to talk about what their right, body right. said or what their messages are and right then their bodies in survival probably. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so thinking about it, I guess, I don't know, just in, in, in these other ways, yeah. just like considering, yeah. Oh, maybe you didn't hear my quiet voice. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Instead that's of after example. the fact when the child's upset because you moved on past his right. turn or whatever, or and even noticing him. it. Right. Cause I, I may or may not have seen a teacher do this, which is why I use that example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that they didn't notice this happens every time. Right. And they could be reflecting. So it does involve self-reflection, yeah. right? Like, huh, they never seem to hear. And they're usually looking at something else that's, you know, the noise down the hall or whatever. And yeah. so I know that that's like, 
it's consistent. I'm seeing a pattern, but I'm still, because I think, you know, be, and that's, I think happens a lot when you think of behavior. Yeah. If absolutely. you only base things on behavior rather than wondering why that behavior happens, mm -hmm. this is one where I, I want a better term. Yeah. Because sometimes people like the why of a behavior, they want yeah. to, well, so what's the diagnosis or what's the, right. you know, right. Cause you wouldn't have to know anything about executive fun function and, you know, um, I'm trying to remember what the actual term, not impulse control, but, um, but that be ability to filter what thing yeah. do you listen to, what yeah, thing yeah. do you not listen to? Yeah. Um, you don't have to know the terminology like I'm proving now, right? but what you You're have to do is great. notice. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Learn by example. You don't yeah. need to know the term. Just know that, Just oh, know he's not hearing me. Yeah. When I do but, this, let me but try But my teacher told me, but my early childhood teacher told me that just to use a quiet voice when kids are loud right. and I want them to hear me, you know, then they have to. And it does work a lot of the time. I do that all yeah. the time. Yeah. But I notice for the kids who it's not working mm -hmm. rather than getting upset at them for not like, no, my, t yeah, my, my teacher told me that I'll use a quiet voice and you're going to listen to me. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, my teacher doesn't know the unique needs of each child. <laughs> my they teacher know doesn't know general, John. <laughs> yeah, in general, that often works. But yeah. um, there are going to be kids where it doesn't. So you try a different strategy. You don't get upset at the child yeah. for not reacting the way you thought they would. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is a natural human inclination. But part of teaching is having that reflective ability right. to realize I could try something different with this child. Yeah. Maybe it or does work with everyone else. Just being willing to, to consider that yeah. this isn't working. It's, it's a pattern that it doesn't work. Maybe it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not yeah. a, a non-compliant child. Right. Maybe it's um, I need to think through what I'm doing. And, yeah. why it's and, it, and we don't know, you know, maybe it is a, a hearing issue versus a processing issue mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, but yeah. Um, or an ear infection, right. Too. You exactly. Know, yeah. mm -hmm. Kids who get tubes in their ears, usually it's them getting in trouble. I, I know I get this actually yeah. calling children in to go inside and then realizing one kid's not here. Yeah. He's like hiding under the slide, <laughs> but what actually happened is Classic. he had been playing under the slide didn't hear me. Right. Everyone left. So it looks like Everyone he's hiding under the came. slide now. Yeah. And so I read into it, you know, and then find out, oh, you know, we found out that he can't really hear right now. He's got, and, it's, and then it yeah. you know, lights up in my head of like, why did I assume? Mm -hmm. And even the idea, most kids don't hear you. Um, you know, 50% of the kids will maybe do what you say from verbal cues. And then most of the other kids will do it because they see their peers yeah. doing something like, oh, we must be going inside now because people are going right. back towards the door or whatever. And just being aware of that. And, mm. you know, like in my case, I could have easily, oh, hey, you know, go right up to the child. Hey, uh, we're heading inside now. Just not assumed the child right. was being defiant, sure. which is what I did in the moment. Um, and I, and also, of course, you know, the grace that we're yeah. all going <laughs> to mess sure. up once yeah. in a while, yeah. but, but it still sticks in my head. You yeah. know, that was 12 years ago, probably. And uh -huh. it's still like, oh. yeah. And it's an opportunity to re-examine the language we use, the, the yes. sort of um, teacher, teacher talk that we use. Cause we'd say, well, he didn't listen. It's much different than did he hear? Like, right. <laughs> he may and, not and have a of hearing is a several, is yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hearing is hearing. the sense. It's also the processing. Right. Much more you know. complex. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, all of that goes in. So yeah. So anyways, the binary of, <laughs> 
disabled and and able-bodied or whatever yeah. ever works and I, I hate the word able-bodied so I've right. been using non-disabled lately okay all right I don't know if that's but because you know I'm like able-bodied according to like I don't need any other thing but you know I tore a ligament in my hip I've got bad knees six months ago and like yeah there's some <laughs> things I probably will never be able to do right yeah but there aren't really barriers uh-huh. for me in at buildings and things like that. So I right. don't count myself in the disability community because of that. But at the same time, like it, it's that relative thing again. Well, yeah. I'm more able-bodied than some, or right. I don't know. Let's, and let's then line depending on the thing, right? You know, yeah. if like what we're talking about, is it trying to climb up a tree, you know, which is going to be more difficult, but riding yeah. a bike, I can still do where I, I don't have to like, whatever, there's certain movements yeah. I can't do anymore. Yeah. Or do as well, or pain is involved. But <laughs> I climbed a tree a couple weeks ago. <laughs> different now, isn't it? It is. I came inside and said to my youngest, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to move tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's Sad just one of those moments. Right. But I think using those moments of like, it's not like there's one time and there's another. Yeah. And I even realized in my dad, you know, it's, at what point is he going to use the cane? Yeah. Right? Because there's a point when, oh, it's harder to walk, but he doesn't, he can do it without. Uh-huh. And then there's a point where he's falling. And mm-hmm. and just realizing there isn't, I don't know, I'm hoping in my own life, I like, we'll see that a little better of like, well, there's probably going to be a time when once in a while I'll use a cane, but yeah. most of the time. And then a time when I will need to use it all the time or use a walker or mm-hmm. a wheelchair or and just kind of knowing that those things, there's not like the binary of it, you know? Right. Because I think that's why it's so hard for, especially things that slowly happen over time mm-hmm. with our abilities, we don't notice, you know, at what point will I need a hearing aid? Right. I don't know. I definitely don't hear as well as I did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm but I think I'm hearing everything. I need yeah. To. Right. Like I was, I was talking to my husband on the phone the other day and I had the phone at my right ear and then I switched it to my left ear and I was like, Oh my God, your voice is so much louder in my left ear. What does this mean? Just means yeah. I don't hear like I used to, or this has always been the case and I never noticed it before. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, um, it's complex and, um, and binary thinking is, I think it's habit. Um, it's comfortable, but I, I don't think that, I don't it know. I think confining. I give people credit for wanting to do more than, than the binary. They just sometimes, we sometimes need examples like this yeah, where yeah. it's failing us again to think in terms of either or. Right. Yeah. It's almost like we create the binary way of thinking about it. And then we try to fit everything into it. Yes. Versus, exactly. Oh, this one doesn't fit. And that's okay. Like, <laughs> Like it's sometimes still helpful to think of, I don't know. I mean, even the idea of autistic and altistic or neurotypical or whatever, that's probably not helpful. Yeah. Um, It's helpful sometimes for some things. Yeah. But um, at the same time, there's some things I do that may would seem like I might be on the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm not, I know I'm not in terms of most things like uh, I wouldn't fit into that, but there's this idea that it's either one or the other is just right. silly, even though I do it all. The time. Right. And, and also I think it's important, right. That I don't take on an identity. I'm not. Mm-hmm. So, 
mean, there's... right. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> that's a different, yeah, yeah. People using that for joking about themselves and stuff right. like that um, makes me a little bit nuts. Yes. Um, well, this was, <laughs> as I hoped it would be, a complex and rich discussion. <laughs> so I thank you for both the writing and the conversation. Yeah, thanks a lot. This is going to help me for the, like, because I'm writing next and oh. I'll work on this part of the book. Now. There you go. Right on. Um, okay. Well, thanks always for being on the show, Mike. I, yeah. I love it. Um, thanks, and thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you again on another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Bye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.